Amen. Well, like Pastor Andrew said, thanks for joining us today. If we haven't met, my name is Corey, and I have the honor and privilege of being one of the other pastors here at GFC. And uh, you've joined us in week four of a conversation we're having called His Name is Jesus. But before I get there, I want to do kind of an informal poll in the room and kind of see where we're at. Okay, so how many of you have started playing Christmas music already? A few of you. How many of you didn't stop all year? I knew there's one family that does that, so I did that on purpose. So, okay, so uh, some of you, we had a conversation this morning, actually, as a worship team, and we said, uh, I, I joke with Dan, because he waits a little while to start, because sometimes I get requests, and I'm like, listen, take him to Dan, he, he runs this place up here with music. So, but you don't have to start yet, it's okay. So, uh, Christmas music, when does it happen, when does it go? And I want to just guys, give you guys a heads up on what's happening with Christmas this year, because some people ask, because we do Christmas at the warehouse, like, what's happening with that? Um, so, we will have one service, Christmas Eve this year is a Sunday. Okay, so Christmas Eve is a Sunday. The tw- December 24th is a Sunday. We will not have a morning worship experience, okay? We will just do Christmas at the warehouse. It'll be about 3 or 3.30. We're landing on that time now, um, and we'll figure that out. So we've done that before. The plan is to be over at the warehouse again. So again, just want to let you guys know, and we'll send out more information about this, but we won't meet in the morning. We're not going to do two services that day. We will just skip the morning one, and we will have one uh, in the early afternoon so you guys can start to plan for your uh, Christmas Eve uh, as it comes up in just about six weeks or so. It's right on the horizon. We're super excited about it. But for today's conversation, uh, his name is Jesus. Now, we started this conversation a few weeks ago, and really we started it at the beginning of the year because we started our year with the phrase, uh, hope has a name. And that was a conversation and a focus that we wanted to start on over a year ago, we started to say, what's something that we wanted our church family to focus on? We wanted to remind ourselves of that we wanted to be part of our DNA. And as we interact with other people that aren't a part of GFC or don't know Jesus, what do we want them to know? And we would want them to know that Jesus provides hope in, in spaces where hope doesn't seem readily available. And so we started the conversation with hope has a name. And so we're landing the plane in, in his name is Jesus. And the way that we've decided to flesh this out and understand this topic is we've walked through the book of Luke, not verse by verse, but large swaths, right? And we've come to the end of Jesus' time on earth before the crucifixion. So where we find ourselves as we travel through Luke and we come to the end of the year, Jesus is very close to heading to the cross. Now, this is why we set the stage and we say, this is the conversation we want to have about hope. Because there, were very, there was very little hope for Jesus and the disciples, at least as humans, in this moment. Now, Jesus knew the outcome. He knew what he was coming to do. He knew what would happen a few days later. In fact, he predicted it himself. However, what we're going to see today is in the moment that everything's unraveling and happening in front of him, he is in a very difficult place. And for the disciples as well, kind of trying to get this, like like they saw Jesus bring people back from the dead. They saw Jesus turn water into wine. They, they saw all these great things, but then Jesus says, I'm going to die, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to come back. There was still part of them that had to kind of go, okay, we'll believe it when we see it. Because we know when he died, where they find themselves is they were not real excited about that fact. They were not all gathered around going, watching the clock. Okay, we got one day left, right? We got a few hours left. Like, let's be waiting at the tomb when he, when he comes out. That's not the way they were thinking. And so even though this was a time in history, like right before hope was going to explode, there was very there was a lot of hopelessness in this time. And so what we look at when we're looking at this part of history, this portion of Jesus's life and the disciples life and say, okay, what do we do when things seem hopeless? 
How do we respond? And what does that look like for a follower of Jesus to respond in these places? And so where we're going to pick up the conversation is Luke 22, and we're going to start in verses 31 and 32. And by the way, as always, you can uh, scan the QR code that's on the back of your Next Steps card, um, and you can follow along there. You'll get all the verses, all the notes, or if you want to scan it on the screen really quick. It's a great way to follow along with our conversation today. So Luke 22, starting verses 31 and 32, it says this, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Verses 33 and 34. Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you and even die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Now, interesting phrase in the beginning of 31. Jesus says, Satan is asking to sift you like wheat. Now, many of us wouldn't necessarily get what that means, but I don't think also many of us go, I hope I am sifted like wheat today. It's kind of a strange phrase, but it doesn't sound good. And it's interesting because Jesus is talking about how how Satan is actually approaching God and saying, this is how I want to go after the disciples. This kind of reminds us, if you know the, the story of Job, if you don't, I'll give you like a real quick synopsis, right? God shows up, or sorry, Satan shows up and talks to God and says, Job is one of your good servants. I'm going to go after him. Let me try and get him. Let me make him sin. And originally God says, okay, but you can't do anything physically to him. That changes and physical things happen. But, but there's, this, there's this moment. This is the second time in scripture where we see Satan will come to God and say, let me go after this person. Now, what do we hope God says in that moment? No, stay away. You're not allowed. Yet, that's not what he says. It's very interesting. And maybe not very uplifting. We're like, but that's not how it's supposed to go, right? This isn't supposed to be. But Jesus doesn't say, and I've told him to stay away from you. He says, I am praying for you. And Peter speaks up and says, no, no, no. Like, I'm ready to die for you. I will go to prison for you. I'm all about it. And then we get this space where Jesus says, no, you're actually going to deny me three times. And so we get to this moment of that Satan is going after the disciples on purpose because he knows what the disciples are going to be able to do. He also knows what's going to happen in just a few days. And he's saying, I need to stop this. I need to get these guys before they're able to take this and tell other people about Jesus. And so they show up. But if you put yourself in the disciples shoes for a minute, you can see how this would be frustrating. You could see how this would be scary. You could see how this would be not something that they would want to walk through. And many times as followers of Jesus, we can find ourselves asking this question, why doesn't God keep us from experiencing difficulty in life? It would make sense. Okay, I'm estranged from God. My sin keeps me from God. But then I decide to follow God and I decide to give my life to him and I decide to show up in church and I decide to uh, serve on a team or I decide to give or I decide to make this decision with how I raise my kids or I'm making these decisions to follow God. But even his disciples, Satan shows up and says, I want to sift you like wheat. And Jesus says, God doesn't say no. And so why doesn't God say he's just going to make our lives easier? But the interesting thing is Jesus never says that. Jesus does say he will meet our needs. Jesus does say that he'll provide for us, but he never says, hey, it's going to get real easy. You follow me, you're always going to have the house you want. You follow me, you're never going to get sick. You follow me, you're always going to have the relationships you want. 
In fact, he says a little bit of the opposite. And in verse 35, it says this, Then Jesus asked them, When I send you out to preach the good news and you did not have money, a traveler's bag, or an extra pair of sandals, did you need anything? No, they replied. Now, what's Jesus talking about? He's talking about back a little bit ago, he sent the disciples out two by two, and they were supposed to go be missionaries, and he said, don't take anything with you. He was, you just take the clothes you got on your back and go. And they went, and the goal was to obviously be missionaries, but the point was, he said, when you go, you will find people that will take care of you. God will provide for you and your needs. So you don't need to, you know, pack and overpack. We all know the people that overpack, right? You bring three sets of clothes when you only need one or whatever. Like, can you just get away with the carry-on? He was like, you're not bringing anything, and, and I will provide for you. So he sets that up. He goes, Jesus goes, do you remember that? And they, he says, did you need anything? No, they replied. But then he goes on in verses 36 and 37. says, but now, he said... Take your money and a traveler's bag, and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. For the time has come for, the pro- for this prophecy about me to be fulfilled. He was counted among the rebels. Yes, everything written about me by the prophets will come true. And in verse 38, it's kind of a funny verse. Look, Lord, they replied, we have two swords among us. That's enough, he said. This is one of those little kernels of scripture you're like did really did jesus really talk about swords it's like yeah he told him they needed two so in the 12 of them they got two swords he goes that's enough but here's what we understand okay from this interaction that following jesus means preparing for difficult days not escaping difficult days he says to the disciples remember when i provided for you yep we remember that okay so take what you've got now and be ready And he says, he didn't have them take swords when they went and were missionaries. That wasn't part of the equation. Now he goes, you you might need to defend yourself. So he says, be prepared for difficult days. Jesus doesn't say the next few hours that we spend together, as we're going to see from this passage, it's not going to be easy. But what you need to be ready for, if you're my follower, is there's going to be difficulty ahead of you. He says the same thing to us, right? He talks about how the world will hate people that follow Jesus. There are times we can have really good relationships with people who follow Jesus too, but he never says, again, everything's going to be easy. He actually says, be prepared when things aren't. And so he prepares them for what's about to come, knowing that this is going to be a very difficult time for them. So in verses 39 to 40, he goes on. It says, then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, pray that you will not give in to temptation. Verses 41 to 43, he walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. Verse 44, he prayed more fervently. And he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like drops of blood. Verses 45 to 46, at last he stood up again and returned to the disciples only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. Now, a couple of things that are interesting here. First of all, I want us to get Jesus is going through this. um, And sometimes when we go through life, we wonder if God understands. We wonder if he gets it. We wonder if he can even understand how we feel as we're processing and he's sitting up in heaven without having to go through it himself. But here's what we know about this passage is that Jesus knows suffering. And we know this because when we look at at 
how he was praying. And in verse, what was it, 44, when it says that he was so fervently praying that his sweat is dropping to the ground like drops of blood, this is not hyperbole. This isn't just, oh, it was so dramatic for him and he was so upset that this is sort of a, no, this is literally what happened. In fact, it's, it's a condition called hematidrosis. And so what happens is, and we've discovered this in, the, in, in history, they've medically understood it. They didn't understand it medically then, but they understand it now, is that when our bodies are so under such pain, under such suffering, they're so distraught, and we feel all of that, the capillaries in our heads will break and we will sweat blood. That's what happens. And it's because we're under such distress that our body does not know. In fact, uh, Todd last week talked about it, right? He talked about how our bodies respond when we are mentally in distress. That's exactly what's happening to Jesus. So when we think about this, Jesus doesn't, he willingly went to the cross, but he struggled on the way there. And this is before he even gets flogged, He's crucified before any of that. He's under such distress with where he's going that his body is physically breaking down because of it. And by the way, I think part of the reason his body's breaking down is because he, think about this, he understood, he created the human body. He understood every ounce of pain that was coming in the next few days for him because he's the one who put the nerve endings there. So he's getting ready to go through this, and his body is physically breaking down because of where he's going to go. And it says that the disciples were exhausted from grief. This is one of those moments where you kind of sit around with the people you love, and you just feel. Like they all know the next few couple days, few hours, it's going to be rough. And they're mourning something that hasn't even happened yet. And they know that this is going to be difficult. And so they're in this space of just pain. And so when we get to those moments in life where this is the struggle, like Jesus has been there. The disciples were there. He gets what it means to sit in our suffering and understand how deeply that can impact us. Going on in verses 47 and 48 says, But even as Jesus said this, a crowd approached, led by Judas, one of the twelve disciples, Judas walked over to Jesus to greet him with a kiss. Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Verses 49 and 50. Then the other disciples saw what was about to happen. They exclaimed, Lord, should we fight? We brought the swords. They're like, this is the moment, right? We have two swords. We're ready to go. One of them, we know this is Peter from the other Gospels. It says, one of them struck at the high priest's slave, slashing off his right ear. Um, Peter was one of those guys that says, I'm going to ask for forgiveness rather than permission. The other guys were like, do we use the swords? He's like, I got one. I'm using it. So he swings at him, cuts off his ear, verses 51 and 52. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus spoke to the leading priests, the captains of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him. Am I some dangerous revolutionary? He asked that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me. Verse 53, why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there every day. But this is your moment, the time when the power of darkness reigns. Jesus, I love Jesus in this moment because he gets a little mouthy with these guys. Like, really? This is how you're going to do this? I, I, I am armed with what? How, this is how you're gonna, and he goes, and you saw me every single day. 
in the temple. And this is where we've talked about this, right, over the last few weeks, that they were trying to, to get him at a time when no one else was around because the leaders of the, the religious leaders at the time, they, didn't, they knew that the people loved Jesus. So they've got to find a way to get him without them knowing and things. So they're sneaking around, and Jesus finally goes, you guys are punks. You had me every day in the temple, and yet you couldn't just arrest me there. You have to come at this moment. And then he says, this is your time when the power of darkness reigns. This is the moment when it's darkest and you guys are responsible for it. This is, this is the moment where everything starts to shift and we start to move towards hope, but it's a deep, dark time. When the, when the creations turn to the creator and say, we don't want you anymore, that we're going to take you to your death. And Jesus goes willingly. And as we think about this, time frame and what's going on for Jesus, what's going on for the disciples and the other followers that were around. Jesus keeps coming back to something. He keeps doing something in this passage as he's walking through difficult times. And he keeps praying. And he tells the others to keep praying. And he goes and has a conversation with God. And and here's what I want us to get is that prayer is our tether to hope in difficult times. Jesus, as the Son of God, doesn't go and just say, I can handle this. Right? I'll just get through it. I need you guys to just sit with me, or let's just talk about it, or let's go get them before they get us. He goes, no, we're going we're gonna to pray. That's what we're going to do. And I want you guys to pray, and I'm going to go pray over here. And he keeps coming back over and over and over again to this tether of hope as he's walking through these difficult times. And what I want to do for the rest of our time together is walk through the spaces where Jesus prays and how he prays. Because we can learn a lot about how to respond in difficult times by the way that Jesus prays in these moments. And so the first thing I want us to get is this, that Jesus prayed for Peter and Jesus prays for you and me. And if we go to uh, Hebrews 7 for just a moment, Hebrews 7, verses 24 to 25, it says this, but, Jesus, but because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. And so way back at the beginning of the passage, we just started to read, right? It says that Satan wanted to sift the disciples like wheat. And what does Jesus say? He goes, but I pray for you. I'm praying that you wouldn't give in. I'm praying that you would make it through this. And what Hebrews tells us is Jesus does the same thing for us. If we're followers of Jesus, he sits next to God. Why? Why does he sit next to God? Because Jesus was the one in the garden bleeding through his pores because he was under such distress as a human. And he goes to God and he says, this is, how, this is what needs to happen. This is, this is how I'm praying for this person. This is how he's interceding and having that conversation with God about us. So when we walk through difficult times, Jesus, who also walked through difficult times, is having that conversation with God on our behalf. And there's moments where we go, I don't know how to talk to God right now. I don't know what to say. I'm so mad. I'm so sad. I'm so upset. I'm so whatever. I want nothing. And Jesus is there, and he's continually having that conversation with God for us because he does get it. He understands what it's like. And so when we're sitting in that difficulty and we don't know what to do, 
we know Jesus is having the conversation on our behalf. The second thing that Jesus mentions and and brings up in prayer is that Jesus tells the disciples to pray against temptation. We go to Hebrews again, but I'm going to go to a different verse. Hebrews 2 verse 18 says that since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. You know, here's the thing that I see happen, and it's easy, it makes sense why this happens, but I see this happen a lot with people. They turn from God because of moments of difficulty. Many people will follow God or claim a belief in God when things are going really, really well. Marriage is good, house is paid for, right? Job's going well, just got a raise, kids are doing great in school, all that. Like, we're like, cool, everything's good, God is good. Let's keep on this track. And then difficult days come. And what's so easy when things get difficult is for us to decide we want to fulfill what we want to feel. And God says, I have this track for you. This is where you're going. This is going to be difficult. And it just becomes really easy to say, but you know what? I'd rather give in over here. Marriage is struggling. I'd rather give in to the relationship at work. Finances are difficult. I'd rather go over here. This just I feel the anxiety and depression. It's much easier to self-medicate, whether that's with alcohol or food or pornography, whatever it is, right? I'm just going to give in in this moment so I don't have to feel for a while. And it becomes so much more difficult to make good decisions when we're struggling with difficulty in life. And we know this because this is when Satan showed up to tempt Jesus, Go back when, when Jesus goes into the wilderness and he's, he's fasting. He's, when he's fasting is when Satan shows up and goes, I'm going to get him. Why? Because we know the Snickers commercial is true. You're not you when you're hungry, right? Sometimes you just need a snack and you feel better. So Jesus is out there. He's struggling. He's hungry. He's going through it. It's difficult. And Satan goes, I got him. Listen, when difficult things come in life, Satan looks at us sometimes and goes, I got him or I got her. I'm going to come after you. And Jesus knows that about the disciples. So what's he tell them to pray for? Pray that you won't give in to temptation. I don't think we put this together a lot, but when difficulty comes in life, what should we pray for? Pray we don't give in to temptation. Because it's so much easier to make bad decisions when our head is not in the right space. And when we're struggling and having difficulty, and this is what Jesus prays. He tells the disciples, pray you won't give in to temptation. Some of that just needs to be our prayer. Because when those difficult days come, it is so much easier to give in to those things. Here's the third thing Jesus does. Jesus prays for God to remove his suffering. It's interesting. This is why Jesus was here. Born to pay for the sins of man. And yet the time comes, and he looks at God and goes, could there be another way? It's an interesting prayer. Because he's human, and he knows how difficult this is going to be. And yet in 2 Corinthians, Paul helps us understand this a little bit better. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 5 says this, All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given to us. Verse 5, for the, one, for the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Here's what we understand. And we understand this in almost every arena of life. Something that's easy to do is almost not worth doing at times. Like the things we celebrate in life are the most difficult things we have to do. If we achieve the diploma we want, we celebrate that. That's great. Why? Because it took so much work to get there. If we complete a marathon, we celebrate that. Why? Because it took so much work to get there. We celebrate those milestones in life because we put in the work. And there were days that were difficult, and we said, we're going to do it. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. We're keep going. And yet, when God asks us to suffer, we say we don't want it. But here's, again, like, this is where we, like, that feels like, yeah, sure, God should make us suffer. But at the same time, I know this too. As a parent and as a teacher and as a coach, there are times where we look at people and go, you need to work a bit and suffer some in order to grow and be better. You have to. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I'm sure a million more times, Pastor. As a soccer coach, I would make our guys run up hills. They were never going to have to run up a steep hill in a soccer game. But when we get to overtime and we're playing against another team and they have the stamina and the other team doesn't, I go, that's why we run up hills. Because we want them to be better. When our kids look at us and we go, can you just make this easier? There are times where we say, sure, I'll help you. And there are other times we say, you've got to figure it out. Because you are better when you work through something and understand it. And what Paul says in Corinthians is, Jesus, well, this is what Luke says, right? Jesus asked for that suffering to be removed, but Paul helps us understand that when we walk through that suffering and that difficulty, other people can come to us and go, what did you go through? And we can come alongside those people and say, I've struggled through it. I worked through it. I'm on the other side. I can see what God did. Let me walk through it with you. And all of that is because Jesus went through that suffering and because we suffer with Christ through that, we can help others do it too. Like we get this when it comes to difficult things we accomplish in life. And sometimes God looks at us and goes, you've got to go through this. And on the other side, you will understand why. We don't like that. And there's plenty of times, like if you were a kid and your parents said that, you might have looked at your parents and said, you don't love me, right? Or you don't want me to do this, or you're not right. You're not fair. And then we get it when we're on the other side because we want them to understand what it means. The fourth thing that Jesus prays for is God's will. Hebrews 10 verses 35 to 36 says this, so do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all he has promised. That first sentence is so important. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. We trust him. What are you asking me to go through? What's the thing that's difficult? I trust you. And here's what I want us to get. When God says no, that he's not going to take away the suffering in our life, just by, you know, like a miracle, or it's just not going to go away. When he says no, it does not indicate abandonment or a bad outcome. It doesn't mean he doesn't care. 
So when suffering comes along and he says, no, you're going to go through this. This is the path I have for you. It's not God going, I'm out and I'm not going to help you with it. It's him saying, we're going to go through it, but I'm with you. And it also doesn't mean that there's going to be a bad outcome. There could be a good outcome. And earlier in the passage, Jesus referenced the prophecies that were going to come true about him. And I want to take us to just one section of that. So in Isaiah 53, by the way, if you've never read Isaiah 53, put that on your list for this week to go back and read that. Because it's one of the best chapters in the Bible that points forward to Jesus. And it's crazy how much it points to Jesus. It's insane. So Isaiah 53, starting verse 10, it says this, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Time out. I don't like that sentence, but it's true. It doesn't say God took joy in it. It just said it was God's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. We don't like those moments. God never says they're not going to come. But he goes on and says, yet. It's an important word, right? Yet. When his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. This is the choice we have to make. When God says, it's my good plan to cause you to suffer through something, and you have to work through it with me, the question is if that bottom line will be true, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his or her hands, will we take that plan and say, I'm going to do good work with it? There's a pastor that I know um, who I've heard tell this story a couple times. There was a girl in his church at 23 got diagnosed with terminal cancer. So obviously, sad day, comes over to the house, sits with the family for a while. And they knew that barring a miracle, this was going to be the end eventually. So he sits with her for a little while and he, he just is with her as a pastor. But then one time he looks at her and goes, okay, what are we going to do with this? And she goes, what do you mean, what are we going to do with this? And he goes, everybody listens to the girl with cancer. So, are we going to ride this out, complete the bucket list? Or are we going to tell more people about Jesus and use the platform he's given you to lead more people to him? She said, we're doing that. And he said, this was years and years ago, but he said, they watched people come to know Jesus because this girl had cancer. The question is, it's his good plan. We don't feel like it's good. It may not be good. But our choice is whether we're going to hold on to it and say, this is going to be God's good plan, and it's going to prosper in my hands. Going on to verse 11, it says, when he sees all that is accomplished, and this is talking about Jesus, by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted as righteous. By the way, that's us, right? For he will bear all their sins. Verse 12, I will give him the honors of victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. So we look at suffering and we go, what's God going to do? And we know, right? This is Isaiah 53. He's talking about Jesus. We get the privilege of being on the other side. How did God use Jesus' suffering for those of us who know Jesus to know Jesus? And for those of us who have parents who know Jesus and grandparents who know Jesus all the way back and then incoming our kids and like nieces and nephews and all those people. Like we look at all that and we go, what was the result of Jesus' suffering? All of us being able to be reconciled to God. 
question is, when suffering comes into our lives, what are we going to do with it? I heard a pastor, again, it's Tim Keller. He was talking about um, Job, the guy I mentioned earlier. He said, it's so interesting in Job because when Job responds to God, he's, he's responding to God. Everybody else that's around Job that's telling Job to quit, to give in, even his wife comes along and goes, you should curse God because he's awful to you. And, and Job is still communicating with God. He's still going, God, I'm so mad. I don't understand this. I don't like this. I don't want this. But Keller pointed out, he's like, but the whole time Satan is losing because Job is still talking to God. He's not commiserating with the others. He's not looking at those people and saying, you're right, I'm going to curse God. I'm out. I'm going to listen to you. No, he's going, you guys need to zip it. I'm just going to yell at God. But he keeps talking to God. And as long as he's talking to God, that tether to hope, that response of, I'm, I'm still directing my anguish. I'm still directing my frustration. I'm still directing my conversation with the one person who can influence it and can understand. And we at least get to be on the other side of Jesus where we know Jesus is having that conversation too. So the difficult times we find ourselves in, we have to continue to pray and connect, learn all these things that Jesus says to help us understand and stay connected to the hope we have. One more story before I wrap us up. Years ago, it's about 10 years ago now, this is a really good analogy for me as I think about how this works. I was working at Conestoga. I was a guidance counselor and admissions counselor. And while I was there, um, there was a, an elective that we would do, and it was rock climbing. And there was a rock climbing gym in Coatesville that had opened, and I had gone a few times with a friend of mine who wanted to uh, have a gym membership, but he didn't want to actually lift weights. And I was like, that actually sounds good. And so I joined that for a little while, but it was like a, it was like a month trial. So I did that with him. We went a couple times a week and I was like, I, we couldn't afford it. So we just quit. But then this elective came up. I'm like, sweet, I can keep rock climbing. This will be fun. So we would bring about 15 or 16 students. We'd drive down in vans early in the morning and we would rock climb it. And it was very quickly, it was like the first or second time we were down there, the people at the rock gym said to me and the other teacher running it, would you like to learn how to belay? And belaying is just being the person on the ground who makes sure that the people up on that are actually climbing don't fall. So I was like, sure, make me responsible for whether some of these kids fall or not. That sounds great, right? Some of those kids I can make dangle up there for a little longer if I, if I don't like the way they treated me recently. So I was like, sure, let's do it, right? And I would learn something about the kids that would come. There were some kids that would come and they were like, this is fun. I just want to climb a couple times. So they'd hang out with their friends. They'd climb a couple times. They're good, right? And that was fine. That was what they were allowed to do. They'd hang out with their friends and just talk, whatever. But there were some kids that would come and, and they were determined. And every once in a while, we'd show up at the gym and, and the instructors would tell us, hey, we changed this route. We changed that way to climb. We changed that color coordinated thing. And, and the kid, there were certain kids that would go, awesome, I'm going to do it. And so they'd start to climb. And they would get to a point where they didn't know what to do. And I would say to them, what do you want me to do? And some of them would say, I'm, t- I'm too tired. I'll try again next time. Let me down. I'm like, okay, let you down. Some of them would say, can you help me? Can you tell me where I'm at? Like where I should reach? I'm like, okay, I can see it. So like the red one's over there. So why don't you try putting your foot here and then reach over there? Like, okay, so I'm, I'm coaching them through. And some of them would just go, can you just give me a little break? And what I would do is I would pull the rope as tight as I could, and I would actually just kind of sit with my weight down, and that meant they could let go of the wall and not move. And they could give their hands a rest, they could give their legs a rest, their toes, 
from climbing and, and it was difficult. And they'd say, okay, I'm, I'm ready to keep going. Listen, I, I think sometimes we look at difficult situations where we're trying to climb something, right? Or we're trying to get over something. We're trying to do something. And we want to look at God and go, just let me down. I don't want to do this anymore. This is tiring. Or we can have the conversation with God and go, can you give me a rest for a minute? Can you just help me? Can you guide me through it? And God's on the other end going, I'll hold on to you for a while. And, and here's the reality. Like, I, we're all, no matter whether we're a follower of Jesus or not, we're going to come to those moments in life where we've got to figure out how to overcome something really difficult. And my question is, if we don't know Jesus, the fear is falling off the wall. There's no one to catch you. There's no one on the other side who can say, I'll hold you up when you slip. But for those of us who know Jesus, when we're going through those moments, we have someone other side tethered to, on the other side tethered to us saying, I've got you. I've been there. I care about you. I'm not going to let you fall. And that's the difference between the hope we have and don't have. But the consistency is the conversation we have with Jesus saying, I don't want to give in to temptation. I don't want to quit. I want you to pray for me. I want to be in. We keep the conversation with the person we're tethered to open, and we continue to have that conversation because we know it's our attachment to the hope we have. So here's what we have to get. Is it true prayer requires us to submit to and accept God's will in every situation? That means when God says, it's part of my good plan to cause you grief. We go, okay, I'm in. I'm ready. I'm going to see what happens on the other side. I'm going to see what God does through it. I'm going to see how it turns out. Now, let me just, I'll give you a peek behind the door for a minute. When, when you guys come to me, and, and many people come to me at different times, hey, can we talk? Can you pray for me? I'm going through something, right? Can you just keep me in your prayers, whatever? I will pray for you, and I will pray for God to take away the suffering. I'll pray all those things. Do you know what else I pray? I pray that you will look back after getting through this thing and you will go, that's why. And you'll see, that's what God did through my suffering. Because many times I know your situation, I know your family situation, I know what's going on, and I go, I just ask that when you get on the other side of it, you see exactly what God did through it and it just empowers you to keep following him. In the moment, I'll pray with you and be the, the shoulder to cry on, but when I think about what I want God to do in your life, that's what I pray for. And so it requires us to submit to and accept God's will in every situation. Gotta be ready for it. The question is, are we gonna come down off the wall or are we gonna say, I'm gonna keep going because I know he's on the other end and he's not gonna let me fall. So here's my last question for us as we process what this means before we pray. Are your prayers, or my prayers, guided by your desires or by the Spirit? We can see that with what Jesus did, right? His desire was for that suffering to pass. I don't want to do this. I don't want to go through it. This is difficult. But then in the next sentence, he says, but I want your will to be done. We can look at God and we can say, I want this suffering to be done but I want your will to be done. 
And often our prayers are driven by, I just want this to be out of my way. I want this to be over. I don't want to go through this. This is difficult. God, take it away, take it away, take it away, take it away. But really what we have to say is, I want the will of God to be done. When we do that, we say, I'll take the plan, and I want it to prosper in my hands. I want the honor of what God's asking me to go through to bear the fruit that God wants it to bear. And that has to be our ultimate goal. It's easy for Pastor Corey to stand up here and say that, right? It's difficult for when those times come to know what to do with it. But this is the challenge, and and the biggest thing we can grab onto is that Jesus gets it when we suffer. Jesus, as we look at this time in your life, we know that it was heavy. And to see you pray that the Father would take your suffering from you is very human. And we've all been in that space where we look at God or we look at you and, and we say, we just take it. I don't want it. It's difficult. But Jesus, we also can see on the other side, the result is our reconciled relationship to the Father. And as the passages we looked at say, there's, there's moments in life where God says, it's my good plan that these days are going to be difficult. That doesn't necessarily make it easier. But we know that the opportunity is there for us to take that plan and make it prosper through a relationship with you that's that says, I want this to be done to the glory of God. And sometimes we can easily see how you're going to move through that thing, and sometimes we can look at that situation and say, I don't even know how God can redeem this. But you can. And so I just pray for the people that raised their hands all over the room and said, I I have something difficult going on. I know some of those stories, I don't know all of those stories, but God, I pray that whatever that difficulty is, that they would receive the strength to say, I'm going to work through this with God and not run from this. And I'm going to pray myself through this. I'm going to cling to Jesus through this. And on the other side, I want to see the fruit of it. I want to see what God's going to do and what I get to experience as he works through my life. God, I pray that we would continue to pray for each other. We would continue to uplift one another as we work to follow you together, even in the difficult days. In Jesus' name, amen.